The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today, I'm truly honored to welcome my guest, Mr. Richard Coy of Coy's Honey Farm Incorporated, the largest beekeeping operation in Arkansas. I first learned about Mr. Coy when I learned about how an herbicide that's being used with genetically modified soy has been harming beehives and in particular is causing him to lose his business. So Mr. Coy, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio. Thanks for having me. I think this is such an important topic because I know that in the Midwest where we have so much genetically modified corn and soy, we see a lot of herbicides being used and increasingly more. The University of Vermont did a wonderful map study looking at where pollinators were healthiest and where they were diminished. And if you look at that map of bee pollinators and look at where herbicide use is greatest, it appears to be almost like the exact same pattern. So we know that our pollinators are in trouble, and clearly we know that herbicides are bothering them. But this year and last year were especially damaging to bees. Tell me what happened to your operation. Well, I have seen that map that you're speaking of, and the counties that are in Arkansas on that map are actually the counties that I had the majority of my beehives in prior to 2018. So to give you a little history, my family business was began by my father in the late 60s, and my brother and myself, my brother's name is David, we are now managing the 10,000 hive operation, and we had our hives in northeast Arkansas and basically in the Mississippi River Valley area of Arkansas. And in 2017, we noticed that we had a reduction in honey production. And during the season, it was hard to wrap my head around what was going on until I noticed that the hives were not building in population. And during my investigating, I realized that we had a problem with the lack of pollen. And it was during that lack of pollen that I realized dicamba was the issue. Hmm. How did you know there was a lack of pollen? Did you see some of the plants that were harmed by the herbicide? Well, actually, the beehive grows its population through protein and carbohydrates. And the protein is provided by the pollen. And so if you look at your beehive and the population isn't growing, you have to look at the two things. Do I have enough protein and do I have enough carbohydrates? And the carbohydrates come from the nectar. So they get both of these from the floral sources. And as I investigated and started digging into my hives, I realized I did not have pollen stored in the hive. So therefore, the queen could not lay enough eggs and have the nutrition for those eggs to develop into a large population of bees. And then without a large population of bees, 
the hive cannot collect enough nectar to have a surplus. So it, it goes hand in hand. And I knew there were specific plants that should be blooming at this certain time, and I went to look at those plants, and one is which is called red vine or American buckwheat. It is a woody vine. And I started looking at those vines in the edges of the fields and woods and realized that the leaves were withered and there were very few blooms. And so I did a Google search, dicamba effects on pollinators, and discovered that other people knew this was potentially going to happen prior to the induction of dicamba-resistant soybeans. You know, I was driving through your part of the country not that long ago, and I saw a fancy sign on some farmland, and it said, Farmers Need Dicamba. And I thought, huh, I wonder who put that sign up. Why do farmers think they need to use this herbicide when it is so clearly harming non-target crops and insects? Well, the bottom line is it's easy to farm with just a planter and a spray rig. When I was growing up, I am 47 years old, and this I just completed my 27th honey crop. Mm-hmm. And 20 years ago, a big farmer had 5,000 acres, and the land was cultivated. It took a lot of time to cultivate the land and then plant the land and then cultivate it more. And what we have gotten into now is farmers that are farming tens of thousands of acres with a planter and a spray rig. It just makes it easy, makes it easier for them to cover a lot of ground. And financially, that is the reason that they're using the product. Yes, and what we see in going through rural communities is this loss of community where there used to be many small farms and a strong rural economy. I guess farmers were told at one point, get big or get out. We've lost so many farmers. And now we've got the situation where, as you say, we've got such large acreages, we've really lost connection to that land. That is correct. And what I'm noticing is the the farmers that are the generation above me, so the farmers that are, that are in their 60s and 70s, and there are very few of those left, mm-hmm. they are very concerned about the environment and stewarding the land that they are allowed to farm. Mm-hmm. And they typically farm fewer acres. It's the generation of my age and younger that seem to be more concerned about getting it uh, planted and sprayed and go on vacation. Right. And that's just that's just the way it is. Yeah. As a dietitian, I'm very concerned about the use of some of these chemicals all the way throughout the food system. So we know, for example, that bees are extremely important in pollinating the foods that we eat. So if we like peaches, if we like blueberries and cherries and squash and pumpkins and so many more foods, we have to have pollinators. I think it's one out of every three bites of food depends on these kinds of pollinators. So I'm not sure people realize the harm until it's too late, until we don't have the vegetables in our garden. I know here in Missouri, we've had a farmer who has lost his CSA, a community-supported agriculture operation, because of spray drift. I don't know if it was dicamba in particular, 
but it was this increasing amount of herbicides that have been used that are related to these genetically modified crops. Right. So losing the pollinators and then losing the vegetables and the fruits and the nuts that we depend on for our health is really what's at stake here. And you've decided that you can no longer farm in Arkansas. Is that correct? That is correct. You know, just like the farmer that wants to spray dicamba, it's it's a financial decision for us. We cannot continue to operate on 50% of the uh, honey production that we had just three years ago. Plus, the beehives are not healthy. A beehive has to go through its normal process of collecting pollen, collecting nectar, storing honey for the winter time, going into the winter season. Even though the the beekeeper harvest the honey, we always leave enough honey for the hive to survive. And you have to have a large population of bees going into the fall to survive winter. And when you have uh, herbicides that take out all of the native and the wild vegetation, then the hive does not have that protein source to survive the winter. And we are sustaining 50% losses of beehives and 50% reduction in honey production. And we just can't stay in business that way. We have the opportunity to move to South Mississippi where the other part of our business has been for the last 24 years. And so we're just going to relocate there and we are in the process of looking to go close to the Canadian border with some of our hives. Wow. And so we have to leave home. and We have to find a new home, which is not something that I really want to do, but this is my profession, and this is this is the life God has given me, and I have to go with it. What is your brother going to do? He is actually, we have made the decision to relocate, and if we are able to run bees up in close to Canada, he will take care of that operation, and myself and my son, who is now in business with us, and one of our farm managers will take care of the southern operation. So moving an operation has got to be expensive. Oh, yes. We are looking at $4 million investment just to move. So what are the legal ramifications? It seems to me that you've got a couple of players here. You've got the manufacturer of the harmful herbicide, Certainly, you are not the first person to have suffered harm. I mean, it's my understanding that state departments of agriculture cannot keep up with the complaints. That's correct. Right. So we're noticing damage, as I mentioned earlier, to fruit crops, to vegetable crops, to nut trees, to the trees that we depend on for beauty. And so we've got a growing population of people who have had losses. And then we've also got, we've got farmers who are using the herbicide as well as the producer of the herbicide, with little doubt that the herbicide is causing the problem. Have there not been any lawsuits against the manufacturer, or have the farmers been sued who are using the spray? So this is a tricky situation. The manufacturer says that the problem with the product is it is misapplied. The farmer claims that he is applying the product correctly and that the product is flawed. And the person that is damaged has no one to go, has no recourse. Mm. The manufacturer says that it works. And so it's a blame game, and the person that has damage is just left out in the cold. Yeah. 
what an unfortunate situation. And it's my understanding too that the way this herbicide moves, and we should probably back up just a little bit, but when the farmer uses it, and it's my understanding that the farmers first started using dicamba to help kill the resistant weeds to the Roundup or the active ingredient there is glyphosate. So weeds and pests become resistant to the poisons that are used to kill them. That's just the course of nature. The urge to survive is that strong. And so now the farmer is using more and more herbicide in order to kill those resistant weeds and pests. The interesting thing is that the weeds, the plants that the farmer calls weeds, are the native plants oftentimes that the honey producer is relying on. And in that great report that you wrote for the the Arkansas Beekeeping Report, you ask a great question and you say, is commercial beekeeping and modern farming compatible? Yes, and the answer to that is no. (laughs) And we are seeing that even this year. I can tell you, I spoke with my fellow beekeepers in the northeast Arkansas area today, and we are shipping our bees to California to pollinate almonds this week. Right. And the numbers that we shipped in 2018, now this is the collective group of beekeepers, we shipped 6,200 hives in 2018. This 2019 season, we will ship 4,000 hives. And the reason we are only shipping 4,000 hives is that is the only hives that we have that are viable for pollination purposes. So we have a one-third reduction in the number of beehives that we can send to the almonds. And that's just here in northeast Arkansas. And if, if you look at the nation and the amount of dicamba and other herbicides that will be used this next growing season, there's no reason to think that that 33 and maybe a 50% reduction will not happen in the future. Mm-hmm. Well, and there you go. There is the impact on the food system and what will happen to the consumer in the grocery store. They'll say, hey, where are the almonds, right? Suddenly, That's correct. there are no nuts. Let me take one break because we're at the halfway point. Listeners, if you're just joining us, you're tuned into Food Sleuth Radio. We are speaking with Mr. Richard Coy of Coy's Honey Farm Incorporated. It is the largest beekeeping operation in Arkansas, or I should say was the largest. They are having to move their operation to Mississippi and closer to Canada in order to stay viable because of herbicide drift related to genetically modified soybeans. So, We should probably explain a little bit, too, about how dicamba works because the drift situation is difficult. You know, when we were talking about who's to blame, the fact that this herbicide, as I understand it, becomes volatile, it volatilizes, and it shifts, it it moves with the wind, and it's very hard to say where the drift damage came from. That is correct. And that's one of the things... When I started looking at dicamba damage on the wild vegetation, I had been hearing from farmers just through the community that their soybeans had been damaged. And you could visibly see damage in 2017 widespread because a lot of farmers were growing liberty beans or conventional beans, which were not resistant to dicamba. And then the other half of farmers were growing dicamba beans. And it was obvious that something was going on more than just a typical drift situation because the whole field would be uniformly damaged. 
and through the process of 17 and 18, the University of Arkansas and other universities across the soybean growing regions did their research, and they showed that dicamba can move up to 96 hours after it is applied, and it even moves, there's damage downwind from the area that is the application occurs. Hmm. So it gets in the air, becomes a gas, and moves throughout the atmosphere and settles on all the vegetation. And dicamba has effects on every broadleaf plant. Dicamba is a synthetic oxen herbicide, and so it affects the reproduction process of the plant. And that reproduction process is how bees get nectar and pollen because the reproduction process is when the plant blooms. Mm. Wow. So one would think that if producers, bee producers, and consumers got together, as well as health care providers, I feel like it's really important for us to come together as a community and say we are losing medically important foods because of the use of this herbicide and the loss of pollinators, as well as just the leaf destruction in itself. You would think that if we all came together and pressured our legislature, so we called the Environmental Protection Agency, we called our state senators, our representatives. In Arkansas, you you uniquely have an Arkansas plant board, which I believe is separate from your state Department of Agriculture. But you would think if we called all of these different representatives – that we would be able to have enough evidence and demand to ban this herbicide. What's wrong? Why isn't that working? Well, that's a good question. I have my idea is money. Yeah. The EPA is fully aware of all of the problems with this product. The EPA was told as early as 2009 by Dr. David Mortensen. Mm that dicamba use on genetically modified crops would pose serious risk to wild plants and the pollinators that they sustain. And I personally have been to the EPA in Arlington, Virginia, and met with officials and gave them pictures. And EPA officials actually came to one of my bee locations in northeast Arkansas, and I showed them the vegetation damage all across the landscape. And they are fully aware of what is taking place. And a lot of the scientists that work for the EPA are concerned about this product, and they do not want it used. But the higher people in control of the EPA obviously want this product used. Even in the 2018 decision papers, they say that they cannot exclude an indirect risk to mammals that rely on terrestrial plants. Well... That would include bees. They know there's an indirect risk, but they are not willing to stop the use of this product. They think the reward outweighs the risk. And so in speaking about who is in control or who governs, say, the EPA, if we start looking then to our national congressmen and representatives I'm and senators, I'm assuming that you've spoken to your Arkansas state senators. Yes, I have. And how do they respond to this? Well, my U.S. congressman explains to me that the EPA has control, and he has no control over what happens in Arkansas. This is a state problem. Hmm. It's very apparent that the chemical companies are influencing 
the legislators of our country, either in one way or another, they are influencing them. And the EPA is being run by the people that want these products used. Right. You know, the EPA gives their registration based on the science work from the registrant, not from other individuals, but but from the chemical company themselves. They give their science, and then the EPA makes that decision. Exactly. So how many other beekeepers do you know in the region who have lost their business? Well, I don't know of any other beekeepers that have lost their business, but I do know of several beekeepers that if this trend continues, they will lose their business. Right. We are actually leaving Arkansas before we go out of business. Right. We have the option to move because we have a facility in South Mississippi, and we can transfer. It will take us a year or so, and we'll have to invest more money. But we can move. But there are some beekeepers that can't move. Right. And just like there are some specialty crop farmers that can't move, organic farmers, they can't move. And they are just at the mercy of herbicides and the effects that they have. Exactly. And therefore, our public health is at risk. And so what would you like our listeners to do? You know, I feel like part of my mission with this program is not only to help our listeners see how all the dots are connected in our food system and to really appreciate the people who are so active. And each interview is like a piece of a puzzle, the big food system puzzle. And you're bringing the beekeepers piece. And it's my job, I think, to not only bring your voice to our listeners, but also give you an opportunity to say, give us a call to action because we want to support the work that you're doing. We all love to eat honey. We all appreciate the crops that the bees pollinate. You, more than anyone, really understands how the bees live and thrive. What would you like us to do? I would like for everyone to contact their state, local, and national representatives. Contact the EPA. This is, I do not want people to blame the farmers. To be honest, this is not really the farmer's fault. This is the chemical company's fault. They should have never allowed this product to be brought to market. The EPA could have stopped it. And it boils down to it boils down to the fact that money is controlling everything, and we know that. Mm-hmm. I would like for people to contact their representatives and the EPA and voice their concern. Right. And not feel like it doesn't matter. I think there's a great amount of power in the number of voices. And even though we live so many miles apart, everyone calling starts adding up. And I know I've heard from legislators and they say it really matters when I receive so many calls from my constituents. That is correct. One of my legislators told me that right now his constituents were 50-50. And whenever one of those sides breaks the 50-50 barrier, he will have to go with their whatever they are wanting. Mm. So if we can get enough people to rise up and say enough is enough, we don't want to poison our food, maybe we could get something changed. Yeah, 
That's very encouraging. It's interesting. So Monsanto is now a part of Bayer. Bayer yes. bought Monsanto. And so we've got this corporation that is so big and so powerful. I think we often feel like it's hopeless because how can we possibly even attempt to sue? I know there have been lawsuits. There are lawsuits pending. People can't speak before those lawsuits are settled. For example, the gentleman who lost thousands of peach trees. But what do you think about this consolidation of these companies and their power? Do you think that maybe we should also be looking at the structure of our economic system? Well, I'm not an economic major, and I'm sure that there are implications with with the economics of that. I don't really like the idea of the the manufacturer that makes the medicine that I take is also the manufacturer that makes the poison that makes me sick. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, that bothers me. Right. You know, it's interesting what I hear, Mr. Coy, so often from the industry, because they certainly are active at our land-grant institutions. At the University of Missouri, for example, there's even a Monsanto auditorium, if you can believe it. But the messages that I consistently hear are ones that they say, you know, we've got to develop trust with the consumer. And we have to promote this idea of modern farming as a way to feed the world. And what I'm hearing and watching through your experience is that this quote-unquote modern agriculture is really benefiting a very few corporate folks lining their pockets at the expense of our food system. And I wonder when you have conversations with other farmers, I'm sure it's it's difficult, right? Because you've got folks who are who have been taught that they really don't have a choice that this is modern farming and it's what they have to do that's right and as i said earlier the generation of my age and younger the only way they know to farm is spray the ground plant the crop spray the ground and then harvest and so they're on that chemical treadmill and they have no way to get off of it and that's what I see. Yeah. And I think that you hit upon the answer, which is really looking at what are the viable alternatives and promoting those more so than the industrial ways. Yes. Yeah. Well, we just have a minute. Is there anything else you want to leave our listeners with? I just want our uh, your listeners to realize how important honeybees are. Like you said earlier, one-third of every bite that you eat is uh, is resulting from pollinators, either managed pollinators or wild pollinators. And they're very important, and it's uh, they're just a very important part of our environment. Exactly. Our ecosystem, our food system. And I want to thank people like you who are in the field doing the hard work, I'm grateful to every time I eat a piece of fruit, an apple, a peach, some blueberries, some squash, I'm grateful to people like you who are stewarding our bees. So thank you so much. In closing, I want to thank our listeners for joining us. I want to remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. And most of all, I want to thank my guest, Mr. Richard Coy. He and his brother, David are part of the Koi Beekeepers 
the largest beekeeper in Arkansas, soon to be moving because of the effects, the harmful effects of dicamba herbicide. Thank you so much for being with me, and I wish you the best of luck. Thank you. Thank you.